I invite you to turn to the book of Nehemiah chapter 10. Turn to the book of Nehemiah chapter 10. And as you turn there, I want to remind those of you who are new today that we've been walking through a summer series entitled Rebuild. And we believe in this season of our lives, many of us are rebuilding from ground zero. Can I get a witness, right? And the reality is this, as we focused on these chapters, this book study, there's really one major theme that we can hold on to that we've all been preaching to our own hearts for the last 10 weeks. And if you know it, it's up on the screen. Say it with me. One, two, three. God will do what he needs to do to fix our eyes on him. I want you to meditate on those words. I want you to see both the challenges and the beauty in these words. These aren't words that are sound bites like on social media. These are words that convey the conviction of the scriptures, right? That God is sovereign, God is active, He is in control, and when we feel like He's not there, this statement pops up to my mind, and we see God will do what He has to do to fix our eyes on the Lord. I want to give some celebration uh, applause today. First off, I want to applause Jesus for our worship team. Would you give the Lord a clap of praise? It is, it is a joy to have a team that can lead us in worship in the gospel. Secondly, as we were gone, I want to give a praise for the Lord through our alaka'i who preached the last few weeks. Would you give the Lord a clap of praise? One of my heart's desires though, was that we wouldn't... We wouldn't need to ask other people to supply us with preachers of the pulpit, but God would raise up man, local man of God that can share the gospel and all this. And so what a joy to be with you today. But as you turn and as you're there in chapter 10 of Nehemiah, would you stand with me in the reading of God's holy, magnificent word? I actually want to Start reading from the last verse of chapter 9. If you don't have your word with you, it will be on the screen. But chapter 9 in verse 38. And then the last verse of chapter 10. And then what I want us to do is survey through chapter 10 in the middle bulk of it. Ho'omau kaukau. Nehemiah 9, 38 says, because of all this. What is he talking about? The worship experience. What they're in the last two chapters, because of all this, all that God is out, listen to me, because of all this, we have make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes, of our Levites, and our priests. Fast forward to the last verse of chapter 10, verse 39, at the latter part of verse 39. It says here, we will not neglect the house of our God, we pray today that you would be lifted up. This would not be a show, but it would be a time of discipleship with our men, our women, and our children in this room. Not getting all buck wild and excited for the sake of getting buck wild and getting excited over things, but really truly examining the text today. God, we love you, and we need a fresh word 
from you that can only come from the scriptures. That's fulfilled in Jesus alone. And God's Ohana says loud and proud, Amen. Nohoyilala, you may be seated. Obviously, there is great joy in this text because there is a motive and outcome of the two chapters of worship, of a worship gathering that sets place in our setting today. And though Nehemiah and the people of Israel returned back from captivity in Persia after 70 years to rebuild this wall around the city of Jerusalem, right? I believe God is doing something deeper than him commissioning the people to rebuild this physical wall. And I believe what God is doing is as Nehemiah and the people is building this physical wall, God in his sovereign grace is tearing down the spiritual walls of the people of Nehemiah. How many of you need to be teared down today? How many of you need to be teared down so that God can lift you up today? How many of you battle with pride? How many of you battle with arrogance? How many battle you with a haughty spirit? How many of you just battling this morning, right? We're human. We all battle. It's a commonality that we share because this world is filled with what we've been preaching for the last seven years of our existence. Sin. The issue is not what people do to you. The issue is deeper than that. Those people, and let me say, let me, let me, let me, let me be very clear. Those people includes you. Easy to point the finger. Oh, this person hurting me. You hurt people too. I hurt people too. There's a commonality, right? God is tearing down the strongholds of the wall that is crippling us in the church today. God is doing what we can never do for the person that hates God, therefore hates his people. Only God can do that. So God is rebuilding this people, a remnant, as the scholars call it, to himself to reveal his glory and, and, his, and the dignity of his character and his nature and his glory renown from a beat up city to a city that has been rebuilt, not just with physical stone, but with a cornerstone, we put our trust in the Lord. And so the outcome of these two chapters, eight and nine, is we see what we're going to talk about today, a renewed people, a renewed people. And as we look at this, I want us to see three motives that these renewed people affirm. Here's the first motive. We see the people's renewed covenant. A covenant is a promise, okay? It's a promise. And Nehemiah and the people makes a covenant with each other. This covenant language actually points Nehemiah and the people to what chapters 8 and 9 talks about, the law of Moses. As we live by the 66 books that make the Bible today, all the believers in this time of Nehemiah only had the Torah or the Pentateuch, which is known as the books of Moses. And as they were trusting the Lord, they were not trusting the Lord in their emotion. They were not trusting the Lord in that, hallelujah, we came back from captivity. We're the chosen generation that came back from captivity. They weren't rejoicing in that. They were rejoicing in what we call today the scriptures. 
May it be said forevermore that Ohana Church is a church that believes in the sufficiency of the scriptures. We believe by saying that there is no need for additions to the scripture. Hello? We don't need to take away. We don't need to listen to these modern day prophets and apostles and televangelists on TV saying that they got a fresh new word by the Lord. It's complete. Hello? Hawaiians, listen to me. It's complete. We don't need dreams, though I believe it happens. We don't need all that. Why? Because we have a fulfilled word that is enough sufficiency. And since the word is sufficient, God is sufficient to us. So the people renewed themselves in this renewed covenant, as we see in chapters 9 of the last verse. And I want you to see a couple things. In theological circles, there's a word called covenant theology. All right? We can go in depth in it, but this is what I will say in the direction of covenant theology. It teaches that God has made covenant with his people, right? And in that covenant, in those promises, he reveals the plan of redemption for his people. Now, I would say that goes beyond Israel today, amen? Right? I believe that that is for all those who confess the name of the Lord Jesus, as we know as our Lord and Savior today. And so these covenants, just for history background for you, you need to know, is lived out in these things on the verse. Here's some references. In Genesis 2, we see a covenant God made with Adam. In Genesis 8, we see a covenant God made with Noah. In Genesis 15, we see that God makes a covenant with Abraham, right? In Genesis, in Exodus 19, we see God making a covenant with Moses. Specifically in this covenant, we see the people of God disobeying the covenant. Therefore, they worship this calf, and therefore, things happen from there. And what happened is that God continues to affirm this covenant in his mercy with David. In 2 in Samuel chapter 7, we see this, the covenant, the promise God makes with David, right? 1,500 years plus before Jesus comes on the scene. And lastly, Jeremiah. We see the new covenant, right? And at this point in Nehemiah's time, all these covenants have been declared, have been written down. However, one still remains not seen. And that covenant is the new covenant in the book of Jeremiah. I remind, let me remind you in, in Nehemiah's time what that covenant said to the prophet Jeremiah. Chapter 31 of Jeremiah says this, Behold, the days are coming. Right? Declares the Lord, when I will make a what? New covenant with the, the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with the fathers on that day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. That should speak volumes to us husbands today. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. Hallelujah. I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity 
and I will remember their sin. Help me out. No more. There's a lot. Like we could do like 10 weeks of that verses alone. But the reality is, right? Here's the reality. As God's family continues to sin, God is faithful to his covenant to them. This would change the way you view God today. That God in his sovereign grace and mercy displays this. For, the, for those of us who have walked with the Lord for any period of time, we can see both the messianic languages and the messianic promises in these verses. And for clarity, this is not a new covenant because the Lord changed his mind. Hear me out. This is not a new covenant because the Lord changed his mind. As you read the text, this covenant actually builds upon God's pro- promises on the other covenants to rescue his people from their sin. If there's anything we can bank on today is that we serve a faithful God. He's faithful when we're not faithful. He's faithful when the leaders of this country and this world is not faithful. He is faithful. God can do what only God can do. He can make a promise and he can keep it because he's God. And don't say amen because I'm passionate today, all right? Say amen because it's the truth. It's the scriptures. God in his sovereign grace has given to us a promise. And he's not a God who would lie like you and me. He's a God that keeps it. Look at this biblical truth. The covenant made by Nehemiah and the people was the affirmation of God's perfect covenant to them. So these brothers and these sisters wasn't just making a promise to one another for the sake of this is what we're going to do. It was actually the overflow. It was the result of what, G- what God has done in chapters 8 and chapters 9 in their conviction of sin. That God would heal them of their sin. How many of you are sick of your sin already? You're sick and tired of it. Well, we have a God who has covenanted with you. He's made a promise. And he will never lie to you. In the same way, our church has a church covenant. You may not know that. Our church, we model Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 38. We have a church covenant. You, those of you who have t- taken our next step classes, which is our membership class, at the end of the class, when you come and meet with me or one of the other we talk about a covenant relationship. You signed the dotted line too. Just like these people signed the dotted line in covenanting together. How good it is to give thanks unto the Lord when we practice biblical practices. The Bible did it. So if it was good enough for them, right, to write a document of covenant, it should be good enough for us today as well. Right? No, no, no. Here's the tension, right? Here's the tension. We live in a reality where people's word is not their bond. Who's guilty of that? Now, everybody committed the sin of lie, raise your hand. All right, right now, all right? We are all guilty of that, right? See, since we treat everything conditionally in this world, how do I know this? This is the reality of divorce in our marriages. This is the reality of separation in churches. This is the reality, right? Because though we serve an unconditional, loving, gracious, merciful God, We live in a world that is based all on conditions. How do I know? Look at your wage and look at your work. Right? Only two of you got it. Maybe only two of us work for now, right? COVID has hit all of us already. But here's the reality. Listen, let let me be very clear. There is a difference 
between covenant and contract. Because what's happening is because we live in a conditional mindset, we base everything on contracts. So those who don't know Jesus, those who don't know the scriptures, I can see why they live the way they live. Because they don't understand covenant relationships. I want to show you the difference. Those of you who have had the privilege of doing your ceremony at your wedding celebration. This is what I share with you guys. You guys are going to remember this, right? Here's the difference between a covenant and a contract. Number one, a covenant is based on trust. A contract is based on distrust. Number two, a covenant is based on unlimited responsibilities. A contract is based on limited liabilities. A covenant cannot be broken, but a contract can be broken. This would change the way we act in our marriages, the way we behave with our children, is identifying that we have a covenant relationship with the Lord. Therefore, what he promises, he will fulfill. All right, now now hear me out. This promise is not gospel or prosperity gospel, that you sow a seed of $100 and you will get double the pork. That is not That is not the promise. What is the promise? Well, look at Nehemiah. They made these promises because God has freed them from their sin. Boom. Life everlasting. So so there is joy in this because we see something beautiful in our verses today. A covenant that is built on the Lord. Second motive is we see the people's renewed conviction. This was a beautiful moment because this was a shared conviction among all the people. In fact, if you've seen verses 1 to 27 of chapter 10, we see, that the, we see the list of important names that affirm this conviction. Some of these names were already mentioned in chapter 7, 8, and 9, and we see basically this leadership pipeline in our text. Jump back up to chapter 9 and verse 38. You see three different titles. You see the title of the princes, the royalty. You see the Levites. Right? And then you see the priests. Go down to verse 14, uh, verse 1 and verse 14 of chapter 10. You see the word governor as a title, which was Nehemiah. And you also see the word chiefs, plurality, right, in verse 14. I think it's very clear that when it comes to leadership, look at this biblical truth, principle. When leadership, is the sa- when leadership has the same conviction, its outcome is spiritual unity. Now, I want you to meditate on that because we live in a political season. Can I get a witness out there, right? And one of the deceptions of the enemy is that we would put all our efforts and our affection into political parties. And of course, we want to stand with those as Christians, I'm going to say that best lines up with Scripture. But the reality is, Whoever wins the race or the political race, God is still a theocrat God. He's still in control. He's still in control. I know everybody makes every president the next coming Messiah. Can I get a witness there, right? Every politician, the next coming Messiah. Your politicians will fail you. All right, let me even go a step further. I will fail you as your colleague. Your alakai, your leaders, we're not perfect. So we got to be like the people of Israel that we look to the perfect leader, the Lord himself. 
So the reflection of this covenant was a commitment because they saw the Lord united. And the word that's used in the Old Testament is the testament the Old Testament is this one phrase, the Lord is one. How many of you remember those words? That is a picture of the Trinity. That God is not in opposition to the Son. The Son is not in opposition to the uh, to the Father. Likewise, to the Spirit, to the Son, Spirit, to the Father. But they're in unity. What am I saying? That we who are here covenanting together, committing our lives together, is in covenant together and in commitment to one another because of God's commitment to himself. That's the result. And we see beauty in this. It was no longer, it's your fault. You're not doing your part. It's your fault. It's no longer that. They all confess, it's our fault. Chapters 8, chapters 9. And this is a different people in Israel. Because 70 years prior, this kingdom called Israel was split into divided kingdoms. The north and the south. The north kingdom known as Israel. And in the south kingdom known as Judah. Why were they divided? Because they sinned before their maker. Why do you think we have a lot of churches and denominations It's not always for the good. It's because there's probably sin in the camp. We don't know how to address it. So because we don't know how to address it, right, we either be passive about it or we run away from it and start something new. But listen to me. God, when he comes back for his people, he's coming back for one people. He's not coming back for just... This guy, this guy, you're going to be in this quarters of heaven and this quarters of heaven. Oh, you are pretty bad in injustice terms and all that. You are pretty good in... in no. One. Because the Lord is one. All right? So we see that. We see division. And eventually, Assyria will take over the northern kingdom, as we see in the book of Jonah. And also, we see Babylon that will take over the southern kingdom of Judah. Let, let me give you be very clear here. All right? You guys need to know the Old Testament to know Jesus today. The Old Testament points us to Jesus. The Old Testament is all about Jesus. All right? And so there's a, there's a shift in this part of Nehemiah's book. Why? Because now the people aren't divided. They're together. And the turning point, is the, why, the turning point of history is this. That God is faithful to his covenant. He's faithful. He's bringing these divided kingdoms after exile, captivity. He's bringing them back together. We see this in Nehemiah 9. It accounts of the fall of these two kingdoms, but also it came back to a point where they're worshiping God, declaring their sins to one another. And again, listen to me. This can be done only, this unity can only be done through the sufficiency of scripture. Are you with me? My feelings, your feelings is not enough. You hear me? Listen to me. No matter how hard your day is, listen to me. God has covenanted with you. He's covenanted with you. He loves you where you are, but he will love you to be more than what you are. He'll make you holy. It says this about Scripture being sufficient. Psalms 1, 1 to 2. The Psalms is, kicks off Psalms this way. He says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. 
Help me out. But his delight is in the what? Law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates what? Day and night. This conviction that Nehemiah and the people are experiencing is a conviction that comes from the law of the Lord. Though the forefathers got it wrong, their inheriting children would finally get it right. That their conviction was rooted in the law of the Lord. His word. Is God's word enough today? Or are you going to wait till somebody blesses you with something and then finally get in the word? It don't work that way. Why? Because money runs out, y'all. Things run out. All right? I know that. Because PS4, I mean, the PS5 is coming out, and Kaimana Adam is asking me every day, when are we getting the PS5? We're wanting more and more and more and more and more. But listen to me. As, my, as I train football players, right? Listen to me. 100, 100% of them ain't going to make it to the NFL. But 100% of them will be judged before the throne of God. Let me say that in here. Whatever your aspiration and dream is, all right? 100% of you will not get it. You can aim for it. You can try for it. You may not get it, all right? Probably won't get it. But I promise you what you will get, judgment. Every one of us in this room will be judged. All right? I have lost friends over this message. But listen to me. As Paul said it greatly in Galatians, i rather feel, fear God than help me out. Man, this conviction was a pure holy conviction. It was a conviction of joy and not just suffering. And lastly, we see the last motive, the people's renewed commitment. Their renewed commitment. We looked at their covenant. We looked at their convictions. And now we're looking at their commitments. This is going to hurt for a lot of you Christians today. Because I want to redeem this word commitment. I want to view this word commitment as a result and not a means. I want to view commitment as here's the work of God in my heart, and your heart. Therefore, this is why I commit. Versus... I got to commit in order to experience God. It doesn't work that way. This commitment we're talking about is fleshed out through verses, the verse 28 all the way on to the end of the verses. And we see a couple of commitments resulted from this conviction as well as this covenant. And here's the first one. They've devoted themselves to the law. Look at verse 28 for me, everybody, of chapter 10. It says in verse 20 that the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the people of the land to the what? Law of God. It says everybody, the law of God. Here's the second commitment. They devoted themselves to their children's purity. Look at verse 30. Verse 30. It says, we will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. You may think I'm legalistic, but I promise you, as God is my witness, my boys, I beg that they will take counsel from the scripture. That they wouldn't just hook up and shack up with anybody and everybody. 
like their daddy. True, right? But we would witness to them, would minister to them, and we would say, like Nehemiah, purity is God's gift to them. As he covenants with us, we will protect our children's hearts. Can I get a witness? This is why our kids probably won't get a phone for a while, right? Like, I'm not joking. They probably won't get social media accounts, for, especially now, for a while. Like, when I mean while, while, okay? Because I don't want them to get buck wild. It's my kuleana. It's our kuleana as the church to honor our children with protecting their heart. They're not going to dress like the world. They're not going to act like the world. And if I'm being too legalistic, praise God, call me legalistic, everybody. I'm not of this world. We're not of this world. We are a holy priesthood, set apart, sanctified by God himself in this covenant. We're going to work hard so that they have the best theological education. Not just the free ones because it's easy. We're going to bust our butt. We're going to work. We're going to get multiple jobs so that we can protect the purity of their hearts. And then when it's time for them to go and see the wolves and out there, go. But you maybe say, those wolves are in my house today. And I get it. But listen to me. God makes covenant with you. He promises he will not leave you. He promises he will not forsake you. Look at verse 31. They devoted themselves to the Sabbath. Now, now me, Kahu Marcus, we believe that, like, that the, Sabbath, the Sabbath is different today. All right? It, though it's culturally, we observe a day of rest and all that. That's not Friday, 6 o'clock in the evening to 7 o'clock in the evening. We, we don't believe that's a rule that Christ himself, you know, followed, but he fulfilled. You guys know that Christ, one of the reasons why he were crucified was why? He worked on the what? Sabbath. But his work was different. What did he do on the Sabbath? He healed. He ministered. He fulfilled the Sabbath. You guys do know when God rested, there wasn't fallen people, Hello. Guess today, there's fallen people. There's a difference today. And so when I look at this in interpretation in verse 31, as well, and if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain or on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath. This is the way I view it today, where we're out today. We would make the gathering of God's people priority. This right here is priority. Guys, I am shocked that all you guys are here today. I am so shocked, but this is, what, this is what it's reminding me. You guys understand that God's faithfulness in his word is delivered to the people of the word. We need to gather. Number four, we see a devotion to the house of God in the offerings, in the, uh, specifically the sacrificial offering, the day of atonement as we talked about in the weeks past, the operations of the temple, the dedication of the first fruits, the tithe, and the ministry of the Levites, right? This commitment was re- reiterated with a powerful statement from our final verse of chapter 10, verse 39. Here's the commitment. Here's what they say. We will not neglect the house of God. Say it with me. One, two, three. We will not neglect the house of God. And we have had many people 
myself included, who have neglected this very truth. But let's fast forward to the New Testament. Let's fast forward to today. This house of God we're talking about is not where you're sitting. This house of God that we're talking about, everybody grab your finger. All right, put them right on your heart. That's the house of God. Therefore, the house of God, all right, is multiple houses coming together on Sunday morning, on Wednesday night, on Tuesday, whenever we meet and gather, right? But there's a specifics to it. What? They worship the Lord. They read scripture. They sing scripture. They pray scripture. They share scripture. They preach scripture. We are scriptorial people in here in this room. Everything we do is pointed to the sufficiency and all powerful scriptures of the Almighty God. And so the question then is, right, if you've been in Christian circles for a time, Kahu, do we live by the law or do we live by grace? Let me say that again. Do we live by the law or do we live by grace? Let's fast forward to today, right? Well, let's look at Matthew. Let's look at the New Testament. Jesus says this in the New Testament. Do not think that I have come to what? Abolish the law or the prophets. But I have not come to abolish them, but to what? Fulfill them. I want you to see that Jesus did this as a teacher, right, of the law. And Jesus also did this as a doer of the law. Which means he also told us to obey this very law. If Jesus followed these laws, how much more for those who are named after him, Christians, do the same? Right? Mark 1.44 said this. Jesus said, see that you see nothing to anyone. Say nothing to anyone. But go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for you cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. Jesus pointed the disciples and the people he healed to the law. This is true for us today too. Jesus points us to the law, to obey it, to follow it. We see this also in Matthew where he says in the great Shema prayer of the Old Testament, if every, he says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, body, mind, soul, and what? Strength. Jesus proclaims this. So, so here's the Here's the question again. Do we live by the law or do we live by grace? Let me clarify it up for you, right? Here we go. We live in Christ. Are you with me? It's not a pick, choose, and pick. We live in Christ. And because of his grace, he has accomplished through the law by freeing us from all expectations. We cannot live apart from by, by him. We live to Christ. Look at Nehemiah. They only knew the promise of Christ. The promise is to come. Saints, we know the risen lamb. We know Jesus. Galatians 3 says this. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until what? Christ came in order that we might be what justified by faith it's the same faith we preach every Sunday Piz tis or piz yo'o it's a gift from God we don't have faith in it of ourselves God gifts us right we're saved by grace through faith it's the gift 
of God. Verse 25. But now that faith has come. Oh, this should get your socks rolling right now. Now that your faith has come. You can tell I've been in Tennessee for a while. Now that faith has come. We are no longer under a guardian. The law. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. What is he saying? You no longer have to sacrifice bulls and rams for the Lord. You don't have to live up to a standard of holiness. God is holy and perfect. And he is a covenant God. I would say he is a missionary kind of God. He is the first missionary of all mankind. He has come to send his son Jesus to do on our behalf what we could not do for ourselves and for each other. He died the torturous death on the cross. So that in his substitutionary atonement we will be covered and we will be atoned for. For his name's sake. For the glory of his name. That when we are rescued from our sin, our opala, our junk. That God will be glorified and magnified and that the promises he told Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and the prophets would come true to the day through his perfect son Jesus do you know him do you know him not the Jesus made up in our own minds but the Jesus of scripture the one that does not just save you but demands your allegiance through him that today I don't come church out of guilt, out of shame, but I come to church because I've been freed from guilt and shame. I come and I am the church. And today as we move outside of this church, we will be the church moving scattered abroad because God is worthy to be praised. That's the joy. He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worth it. Every bit of it. Have we seen Christians in Lebanon and the Middle East struggling for their life and their faith in Christ Jesus? We're living comfortably with media, technology, and gadgets and everything we could ever ask the Lord for. And they are just doing it with this. The scriptures. It's sufficient. It's sufficient. And may we never say, oh, I don't understand the Bible. Oh, if it's the power of God... It's not your manao to understand the Bible, but it's the Spirit of God who gives utterance and knowledge to you. James says, if you lack wisdom, I'm going to say them in pigeon terms. You ready? Hawaiians, beg them. Beg them for wisdom. You know how he gives wisdom? Through his word. Not through an emotion. Oh God, would you give me the feelings of your word? Would you give me the experience of your word? None of that is completely wrong or bad, but it is when you substitute it for Scripture. I pray this church is serious about your eternity today. I'm not going to assume that everyone here knows the gospel and have received the gospel. And because you said a prayer one day, you raised your hand, you walked on an aisle, that you're good. That is not biblical. One who belongs to God will be convicted of their sin continually, but also will progress in the gospel because that's the power, right? While Disney does all these fancy, cute movies and all this stuff, all God does is a simple word of advice. Repent and be baptized. How should we respond today? Very simple. Let's 
Let's covenant together that what binds us is the grace and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's covenant that today. Let's not forsake to gather. Let's be passionate about growing in the scriptures. Let's make every effort to go and extend this covenant with Hilo. You guys know this is the greatest time to share Jesus. Right? People no more paychecks coming in. People are suffering and struggling mentally. This is the perfect time to love people to the beauty of Christ. And as we continue to rebuild our vision at Ohana Church, we will do so on the sufficiency of Scripture alone. To God's, to God's glory alone. Because the Scripture and God's glory reveals the person of Jesus Christ who by evidence of the Holy Spirit lives within us, fills us, and awakens us from death to life to the glory of his name. So the way we're going to respond is we're going to practice an ordinance that Jesus installed before he was crucified. And it's the Lord's Supper. And I want to be very clear. The Lord's Supper is only for true believers. So I'm going to give Kuliana to some of you parents out there. Your child who was just running around buck wild, don't give him the Lord's Supper. That's pretty clear, right, Kyle Marcus? I can't get clearer than that, right? They didn't even understand what was going on. They're children. Until we have Kiki Church again, they'll be with us. But model in front of them why we take the Lord's Supper. Secondly, if there's something that's separating you from fellowship with God, we're going to sing a song. Use that time to pray and ask God for forgiveness. This is what I don't want to do. I don't want to be the church of Corinth that we don't take the Lord's Supper serious and we don't examine our hearts. Amen, church? But at the same time, I don't want to be legalistic in the point that I'm saying, since you sinned all week and you're buck wild all week, don't take the Lord's Supper. No, there's time for you to receive the gospel today. Repent of your sins. Trust in the Lord Jesus and receive communion in the Lord Christ. Again, if your heart is not there, don't take it. But if your heart is repentant, understood every word I said, not by humanistic knowledge, but by the Spirit, take the Lord's Supper. This is how we're going to do it. We're going to sing a few songs. Kyle Mark is going to make his way up here with me. And as we sing these words of declaration, you sing a couple choruses, a couple lyrics and all that. During the song, when you're ready, you can go right away, right, right when we stand. Grab the elements in the back. All right, please stay safe with the COVID rules as best as we can, but grab it on the way back, starting right after I finish prayer. Are you with me? Would you stand with me as we pray scripture today? Lord, thank you that you will not neglect us. Therefore, we won't neglect the gathering of the fellowship and the worship of your saints. And God, we pray today that if there's anything unclean in us, that you would make it right. By our confession of sin, by our embracing of salvation and redemption in Christ alone, by turning from one way of living to a perfect way of living in Christ alone. And though we aren't perfect earthly, we're making progression to the one who is perfect and who is perfecting us 
from the inside out through the power of his spirit, Jesus. So as we take these elements today, Lord, may we remember the the treachery of that night, your last moments with your disciples, and that every disciple but John would not be present at your death. But thank you, Lord, that every gospel, Matthew, John, Luke, and Mark, has one thing in common, the death and resurrection of Jesus. So as we focus on Nehemiah and the coming of a Messiah, we focus today in the return of the Messiah. So as we think about the Lord's Supper, we don't just think about his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and even his ascension. But we also think about his return. That until you come, we'll observe it to the day you come and rescue us from this forsaken world. We love you as we sing to you, as we grab our elements. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit.